Hey, welcome to First Things First. Happy Friday. Nick Wright, Chris Broussard, I'm Kevin Wilde. On today's show, Kittle and Kelsey get paid, the bubble burst for the Suns, and a drone delay in Boston. But we start with the play-in for the play-in. Start off with Grizzlies guaranteed a spot in the play-in tourney with a win over the Bucks. They got it. Did the Bucks try? Yeah, up for debate. Grizz went 2-6 in the bubble. John Valanciunas had triple doubles. Later in the night, just Blazers. Dane hit eight threes. Boom. Including this one from Cinderella's Castle. Portland survives a feisty Nets team. That's going to be in the playoffs anyway. Nick, how impressive was Dane's performance last night? Dame continued his absolutely remarkable run. And I'm going to evoke a name here that I think once we have the full lens of history, this season will be remembered in part four. And that name is Kobe Bryant. Let me remind the audience that in the Lakers' first game, after the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, they were playing Dame and these Blazers. And Dame led his team to victory with 48 points in a game that Carmelo, remember, didn't play as he was grieving the death of Kobe. And Dame talked after the game about his relationship with Kobe. And the reason I bring that up is what Dame has done over these last three games, Broussard, reminded me acutely of the last great moments we saw from Kobe on the basketball court aside from his final game. Kobe's last great season was 2013. And late in the 2013 season, as the Lakers were fighting for their playoff lives, they suffered a bad loss, believe it or not, to the Clippers when Kobe played very poorly. And Kobe responded to that with a three-game stretch up until he snapped his Achilles, where he played nearly every minute, where he averaged nearly 40 points per game, and where the Lakers won three consecutive elimination games to keep their season alive. Fast forward to seven years later, what we saw this week, the Portland Trailblazers lose a terrible game to the Clippers, where Dame falters at the end, and he responds with a three-game stretch of elimination basketball of averaging an impossible 51-9 and nine over these three games. Scored 154 points, Broussard. If he had scored 145, they'd have gone 0-3. He scores 154, and they go 3-0 and, and squeak out every one of those wins in the final moments. And so it, it, you hesitate to evoke his name, but it was Mamba-esque what we saw from Damian Lillard over these three games just to keep the Blazers' season alive, Chris. Now, interesting story in comparison, Nick. And, you know, you don't really think of Kobe when you think of Dame. Maybe you do mentally because obviously both have what Kobe called the Mamba mentality. Dame yep. is a killer. He is clutch. But they do it so differently. You know, Dame does it with the three-pointer, obviously, there, right there from the logo. And can we stop calling that a 35-footer? How is that 35 feet? That's Thank you. Be like 40 feet. Thank you. You know, the, the half exactly right. what? 40, 47 feet or whatever. 47. Yeah. Exactly right. Thank you, Broussard. That's correct. Yeah, that is a correct take. We went Go over ahead. this in the pre. We went over this in the. <laughs> Go ahead. Look Go at ahead, that. That's 43 feet probably. All right, but anyway. Yep. Agree. Uh, it was a masterpiece. Nick is right. It was his third straight masterpiece. And when I say masterpiece, let me qualify. 
I mean on the offensive end. Because <laughs> neither Dame nor the Blazers <laughs> give a hoot about defense. But that's part of what made Dame's performance also so great is that he did get two steals in the fourth quarter. With a minute 12 left, he steals the ball from Karis LeVert, which was a big play go. with the Blazers up too. And LeVert was about as hot as Lillard was. And then C.J. McCollum finishes off Dame Steele with what turned out to be the game-winning jump shot. But Dame was fantastic. 12 points, four assists in the fourth quarter. And there was that stretch early in the fourth when it looked like the pressure was getting to a young Gary Trent Jr. And C.J. McCollum all of a sudden couldn't hit a three. He didn't hit a three all night. And Dame carried them with three straight three-pointers within a three-minute stretch, including that 43-footer from the logo. And that kind of seemed to settle down Trent and McCollum. And then late, both of those guys made some big shots. So you can't say enough about what Lillard did. It was phenomenal. Like you said, Nick, 51-9. and nine. What else can you say? All right, so we got Grizzly Blazers game one tomorrow at 2.30. Grizz need to win two in a row. Nick, what do you see happening in this series? Well, I, the reason that all along I said I think the Grizzlies are going to be the team that makes the postseason is because I don't think that the nine seed in this scenario is going to be able to win back-to-back -back elimination games against a team that's probably of equal talent. Now, the Grizzlies, of course, fell to the nine. The Blazers are healthier. The Blazers are better. You have to install the Blazers as massive favorites to advance. With that said, oddly enough, this play-in game Saturday, Broussard, is the least pressure the Blazers have had on them in a week. This is the first game they can lose and be fine since that Clippers game. Meanwhile, the, the Grizzlies, as by the way, America, I hope you cashed in, as guaranteed on this show yesterday, uh, the Grizzlies uh, annihilated true. a Bucks team that we knew was not going to try. We knew Coach Bud was going to give his, his guy, Taylor FDR Jenkins, account. who'd been with him for a decade, a nice little uh, uh, olive branch into the postseason. So I wouldn't be shocked, Broussard, if the Grizzlies win on Saturday. But I will admit, Wilds has been high on the Blazers. I have not. I would be very surprised if the Blazers don't end up winning one of the two to advance over the weekend. Nick, I was going to let this slide until you started bragging about your call yesterday uh, on Milwaukee mm -hmm. and Memphis. This is the first of what will be many times over the next few weeks when you admit I'm right. I, uh, Wilds was not the only one saying Portland was going to be in the playoff. <laughs> I have said it as oh. well. You don't have to say it right now, but, you know, now you're picking well, Portland. Let them get in first. Let them get in first. That's not over yet. Let them get in. I'll let you go a little bit. All right. But anyway, mm -hmm. I'm with you in that anytime you don't play defense, which Portland doesn't, you give the other team a shot. And Memphis has played them tough already. You know, it was one and one in the regular season. Uh, they, they played early in the bubble. And it uh, Memphis was up eight with less than five minutes to play. Now, they did have Jaron Jackson, who had 33 points in that game. We know he's out with injury right now. But it took the Blazers overtime to beat that Memphis team. 
And Nick, Portland knew even then they needed that victory. That was a huge game yep. because they needed a win and they needed Memphis to have a loss. So I, I think Portland definitely is the team that ends up as the eighth seed and gets in the playoffs. And, but and, I wouldn't be surprised if Memphis pushed it to a second game. And Wilds, I know we're going to talk about it throughout the show and later about the potential Blazers-Lakers matchup and how big of a threat the Blazers are to go on a big run. I think I, I think it was Barkley last night who said he's got them going all the way to the NBA Finals now. They, the reality, it, there are two things to talk about with the Blazers. One is Damian Lillard being the human embodiment of an on-fire NBA jam icon. The other one is... <laughs> that they once again are not even attempting on the defensive end. And the fact that the Nets, this Nets team, with nothing to play for, had the ball down one with uh, deciding we're just going to take the last shot. I think if it's a must-win game for the Nets, maybe they call timeout, maybe they go a little faster, but they're playing with house money. I mean, they are, Karis LeVert, if that shot is an inch and a half to the right, we're talking about the, yep. the Blazers squandering another brilliant Damian Lillard performance. And I don't think the Calvary's coming for the Blazers defensively. Now, they still should be able to get one of two against the Grizzlies. But what the, Dame is an amazing player, and this has been an amazing story. I don't think that anyone should consider the Blazers an amazing team, at least not when you incorporate the other end of the court. They have been an amazing offensive story, but as Broussard mentioned, they've been the worst defensive team in the bubble, and even in these must-win games, you're talking about teams putting up 121, 131, 133. They haven't been able to tighten up the defense even when they needed to, Wilds. Well, they're not locked in yet. Once once playoff game hits, lock in. Suns perfect oh, yeah. in the bubble, still headed home. <laughs> Here's Monty Williams after the game. Take a listen. Sons of old, you've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. And it's, it's hard to, to play the way you play every single night and not get the respect that you deserve. Guess what? You got it. Okay? So I don't, I don't care what happens. God knows I hope we get a chance to to keep shocking the world, because that's what you did. Nobody believed we'd come, you know, we'd come here and go 8-0 and, and beat the teams we beat. But just know, man, this is special, okay? I want you guys to know that. I don't care what happens, right? This is special. Don't let anybody take this away from you. You've gained the respect of the league, okay? Now we got to build on it. We may get to build on it this, this weekend, or it may happen in the summer. We don't control it, okay? we got to get to the point where we control it. Understand that? You guys understand that? You want to be the kind of team that controls your own destiny. Okay? That's our next step. All right? Love you guys. Bring it in. Houston Chronicle reported Russell Westbrook's strained quad. They forced him to miss multiple games of Houston's first-round series oh, against God. the Thunder. Nick, on a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous should this news make the Rockets? 8. This is awful. Eight? Wow. wow. And it's, it's awful for a number of reasons. There's the obvious basketball reason of the Rockets are the only team that go into the playoffs with one of their top two players just gone, at least for the start of the postseason. But then there's the narrative reason, and narratives matter. You traded away Chris Paul and four first-round picks for Russ 
I would argue in large part because you had real concerns about Chris Paul's ability to be healthy at the end of a season. And now a Rockets team that I thought, and we've talked about this, even though Broussard, you're not as high on them as I have been, that a team that could no. benefit the most from the bubble. They weren't going to have home court anyway, so now there's no road games. Harden and Russ get rested beforehand. All of this said, well, the Rockets should be able to be one of the teams where the, where the delay and the time off in the bubble has actually been a net positive. To now not have Russ... And to have staring across the court from you, the guy you traded him for, who is, I believe, going to finish top five in MVP this year, and a team, Broussard, that's best lineup is three guards and can match your small ball, it's just awful timing and awful luck for a Rockets team that two years ago would have been NBA champions if they didn't get snake-bitten with injury luck. And now this year could exit the first no. round because they got snake bitten with injury luck, Broussard. Let me let me read between the lines of what Nick just said, America. First of all, <laughs> stop it. They would not have been champions. Golden State still would have beaten them had Chris Paul been healthy. All right, that's number what? one. Number two, what? number two, if that's this a happens take. a week or two from now, if this happens a week or two from now, and Westbrook could play against OKC, but then just got injured before the Lakers series in the second round, Nick would be singing a different tune. He'd be happy. No, he that's not true. That's unfair. That's unfair. I wouldn't be happy with so an injury ever. That's unfair. Okay, I'll that's give probably, you that. You don't unfair. wish Nick, it on anyone. He's got one. However, Point, Nick. Yeah, however... You would, you, it would help your Lakers, and you know that Houston is a threat to them. I told you that. They're a threat to the Lakers. But let's get to it. You're, this, is a, this is a problem. This is a serious problem. OKC already beat Houston two out of three games in the regular season. That was with Harden and Westbrook playing. Nick mentioned that OKC is the guards to go small ball. They also can expose Houston with the big Steven, Ad, Steven Adams. And their small ball lineup, in addition to the problems they create offensively, defensively, they're built to trap James Harden at half court and force the ball out of his hands. Now, that was fine when you had Westbrook because he was he's a playmaker. And you give it to Westbrook, and he creates. But now who's going to create? Eric Gordon, Daniel yeah. House, who's yeah. also injured, Austin Rivers. Now that's a big problem for the Rockets. And also, small ball will not be as effective without Westbrook. A big part of it is Westbrook's urgency and the fact that he keeps the defense on his heels with his attack mode and aggression. Now that's gone, Houston is pretty predictable. James Harden, slow half-court team. Harden creates everything, and everybody else is going to try to hit threes. This is going to be a great series if Westbrook is out. Oh, that's a good take. Here's some uh, stats with and without Westbrook. You know, the percentages are not that bad. The turnovers are a little bit concerning. Nick, I'm going to throw it to you here. Just from 10,000 feet, and I know that every team, if you lose a star, you're in a bad spot, but it feels like the Rockets particularly have a smaller margin for error than any other team. They're just all in on Westbrook and Harden. Do you buy that that makes, should make the Rockets I extra worried? Well, listen, I don't buy that they have a smaller margin for error. I think that 
If the Clippers lost Kawhi or Paul George, whoever their second best player is, if the Bucks lost Middleton, if the Lakers lost Anthony Davis, I think if any of the teams that are built around two stars lost one of them and they were playing a legitimate first-round opponent, you'd be concerned. Mm -hmm. The reason I think the Rockets should be extra concerned is this is a massive year for the future of the franchise. I believe Mike D'Antoni's a good coach. He also doesn't have a contract passed this year. If they go out in the first round, I don't know that he will be back next season. I also think they have either the best or the second best with respect to Masai Ujiri, GM in basketball. I, I think they would be utterly insane to move on from him. But I watched the owner of the team have some not-so-flattering things to say about Daryl Morey to the president of the United States. And that makes me a little anxious about if they go out in the first round, Daryl's future, even if, e even if that's an insane thing to think about. And I just, this team, it, 2017, they're playing the Spurs. Harden gets concussed and they get knocked out of the series in six. 2018, they're up 3-2 on the Warriors. And Chris Paul tweaks his hamstring. They miss 27 straight threes in game seven and they lose. Last year, they are beating the full strength Warriors. KD goes down and they short circuit. Now there's no excuse there, they, they should have won. They just short circuit at the end of game five and then second half of game six. And then this year, I think they were playing their best basketball of the year in the bubble, and then Westbrook goes down. It just feels like it's been something each of the last four years when you've had James Harden at the peak of his powers, and it makes me concerned the Rockets are going to make some very rash moves this offseason that they shouldn't. Okay. I mean, not bad. Kittle and Kelsey got Thank paid yesterday. Or are they still <laughs> underpaid? More first things first after the break. And they're going to make a move because they get knocked out. Hey, we're back with Mr. Wright and Mr. Natural Minnesota, Greg Jennings, talking tight ends. 49ers announced a monster extension for George Kittle yesterday. Makes him the highest paid tight end in NFL history. Five years, $75 million extension. Meanwhile, dynasty in waiting, allegedly. Kansas City Chiefs signed Travis Kelsey for four years, $57 million. Nick, these tight end deals reset the market. What's your take? on these big deals my take is the tight end market had been one giant market inefficiency ready ready to be corrected and it kind of was prior to these deals Kinda. the best tight ends in football were making jameson crowder money which is lunacy now the best tight ends in football are making Jarvis Landry, Allen Robinson money, which is still a bargain. Something, a weird thing happened with the tight end market. Gronk set the market around nine million bucks almost more than a half decade ago, and then it just stayed there. It didn't grow with the cap, it didn't grow with the salaries of other players, and now you have the two best tight ends in football by a wide margin totally reset the market. But when you look at the fact that what the best guards in football make, let alone what the best wide receivers in football make, I would argue, Greg, that $15 million a year for Kittle, who is a great offensive lineman and a very good receiver, and $14 million a year for Kelsey, who's a decent offensive lineman and a spectacular receiver, is a hell of a bargain. 
And so I, I think both these teams did very well to lock up two of the three best players on their team. In the Niners' case, maybe the very best player on their entire team, Greg. You know, I, I agree, Nick. I think the tight end market has always been one that's been pretty strange um, with the numbers that you just mentioned. But with these two guys in particular, it had to be done. When you look at George Kittle, he is the best player on that 49er roster. If you remove him from that team, they don't do and they're not where they were last year in the Super Bowl, uh, potentially having the opportunity to get there again because of the kind of player he is. I remember playing a game in, in back in the day, NCAA football, and it had game breakers. That is what these two young men are. They are, they are straight up mm. game breakers. George Kittle, uh, two years in a row, over a thousand yards. Travis Kelsey going on his fourth or fifth year of a thousand yards receiving. Like these aren't just tight ends. They are flat out playmakers. You can split them out. They change the game. They make the game so much easier for quarterbacks, even as great as Patrick Mahomes and specifically Jimmy Garoppolo, giving him a safety valve and a safety target with a catch radius as large as George Kittle's. And you mentioned the blocking. They both do their part when it comes to the run game, specifically George Kittle. Well worth it. I think this is something that needed to be done, and I'm excited for these two young men. Hey, we wanted to throw up a graphic. This makes your point. Look at this. 170 receptions, 2,400 yards, and 10 TDs. Julio's making 22. Michael Thomas making 19. DeAndre's making 16. Nick, this is what you're saying. George Kittle's making 15. Yep. Kelsey's making 14. This is courtesy of a researcher, Dusty, who should have been an agent. This looks good. What do you think? And DeAndre, by the way, one of the reasons DeAndre's wearing that uniform instead of the Texans uniform, aside from the general malfeasance that goes on in the front office with the Houston Texans, is because he wanted a raise. Because for his level of production, $16 million a year wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so I just... I understand guys in the NFL, Greg, get paid by position, but when tight ends were being paid like a, you know, solid number two, and now they're being paid like the bottom of the market number one receiver, it just seems like it, this is mo money very, very well spent compared to the other way to spend cap dollars. And you, you mentioned it, it's always been an odd market. I, I just feel like it's not like tight ends being great receivers is a totally new phenomenon. I grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan. There, you could make the argument in the late 90s, early 2000s, the bet, the, a top three receiver in the NFL was oh, Tony yeah. Gonzalez. And, and so it just feels to me like it, there is some, it, there's been some static in the tight end market even this offseason. Austin Hooper, it was a true free agent. And got 10 million a year. It just, the market to me has never, hasn't made sense. And even with these record setting deals, it feels like they're bargains, at least in my mind, Wilds. You know, one thing yeah, uh, it, I was happy to see. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to just add to that. I think a part of that is because we do see teams and organizations and the market being set by position, which I understand the rationale behind that to have a benchmark, to have kind of 
a template. But when you have players that have earned uh, to make the amount of money that some of these players are making, specifically we're talking to these two tight ends, and you put up those that stat in that graphic, they should be making what they have earned. And their play has earned more than 15 and $14 million a year. Hey, um, you know, I'm out there like a peregrine falcon on social media, Nick, making sure that the Chiefs are not tweeting anything about dynasties. And I didn't see anything. Just Patrick Mahomes tweeted six more years. He was happy, but no dynasty talk. But yeah. the producers, of course, like to get me upset and say, wow, let's make sure we ask, you ask Nick about, uh, you know, the, the upcoming dynasty. I say, guys, Patriots have a dynasty. We got Cam Newton. They say, I don't care. So go ahead. Talk, talk your dynasty talk. Well, I mean, there's your seven best players on the team. They're all contracted for at least the next two years. You can add to that, by the way. I don't even have on there some of their young draft picks like Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be their starting running back. They got him for the next five. McCole Hardman, they've got him for the next three. Greg, we went into this offseason with the Chiefs having $177 of cap space. Not $177,000. $177. And going into this offseason, here's what I thought would happen. I thought they would have to cut Sammy Watkins. I thought they would have to trade Chris Jones. And I thought Travis Kelsey, with two years left on an undermarket deal, was going to be asked to play at least one more season at a very discounted rate before they tried to find a way to pay him. Instead, they kept Watkins. They re-signed Mahomes for a decade. They gave Chris Jones four new years, and they prematurely, but in a good way, extended Kelsey for another four. I, Greg, I, I understand, especially because you played on a team that won a Super Bowl, then went 15-1, and won, looked like a dynasty in the making, and unfortunately never got back to another Super Bowl, maybe because they didn't lock up Greg Jennings like we did Travis Kelsey, maybe because they let him walk to Minnesota. Maybe that was the whole key to the whole thing. But regardless, <laughs> I understand people think that I might be throwing around the dynasty term a little too loosely, but Greg, if you, if you were following the path to build one, these would be the steps you're walking in locking up all the pieces of your core for the, you know, the next three to five years, right? No question. When I look at the Kansas City T Chiefs and what uh, Brett Veach has been able to do with locking up these guys and locking them up early, and, and I think the key to his their success of being able to do it is the environment, the culture that they've created. These guys love Andy Reid. They want to be there. They want to be a part of something special. And they all know that they have an opportunity to do so. What the, what the management has done, though, is has done their, they've done their part by saying, you know what? We know we have something special. We want to continue to pay you guys. We're going to make it work. And every team in the National Football League can make things work if they so choose to. And the Kansas City Chiefs Good. have found a way to make it work. Whether you sign the guy or extend the guy early like they just showed us with Travis Kelsey, uh, whether you extend your or you give your quarterback the highest paid contract in almost sports in sports history, basically, these are the things that you have to do to make sure your players know that we're not going to try to lowball you. We're going to give you what you deserve, but we're also going to try to make sure we can hold on to a lot of these other assets that make us so special as a core and as an organization.
And I think there's two very important quick points to add. One is locking Mahomes up for three presidential terms and Mahomes making it clear to the world and his teammates, I didn't squeeze every last dollar out of the team, to me made it easier for them to go to Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey and right. say, you probably could get a little more, but you know it's not only you're gonna be with Andy Reid, you're going to be on a team that's quarterbacked by Mahomes, but it also, if I were a fan of any team in the league, like I mentioned the Texans with DeAndre, that cries poverty, about not paying their best players. The Chiefs entered this offseason with less money in cap space than Greg Jennings has in his pocket right now. And they locked up all pro after all pro after all pro. If you want to make it work, Wilds, you can make it work as management if you really want to keep a team together. Yeah, you don't have to tell me, buddy. I'm the Patriots dynasty. October 4th, Cam Newton versus uh, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Look at this guy. Speaking of, of big deals, oh. Greg, you said, if I said I was coming back to football, <laughs> what position would I play? What team would you want to see me on? And who's my quarterback? My first thing I put in the document this morning, I was like, is Greg serious at all? And yes or no, but what answers are you getting here? Uh, so to answer your question, am I serious at all? No, I was just throwing out a question. Um, oh. I'm done playing football. However, okay. some of the then answers don't put that it I out, got, Greg. Uh, I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spike some interest. You gotta do some things different on social media. Yeah. Uh, but for yeah, me, it did. was it was a landslide. It was a landslide with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers being my quarterback and playing receiver again. Oh, not Jordan Love. But I thought some of the interesting points were tight end. Uh, linebacker, safety. Somebody no. said safety. Hold I just on. want to see you hit. Hold on. I, I, I got to interrupt you, Greg. I have to ask you a question. I have to ask you a question. What if it. a team calls you? They saw you win Mr. Universe. They see you working out. They see a couple days ago you posted basically a not safe for work pictorial on Twitter. They're like, you know what? We need this guy in our <laughs> locker room. What if... What if you get the call? Are you are, are you at least talking to your wonderful wife about it? I would. I would definitely talk yes. to my yes. wife about it. Yeah. No Let's question. Go. That it would be. It, it, I think that would be the smart thing to do it, it, to at least converse with my wife. Oh, you could take Edelman's it. job hey. right now. No, you're not. Stop, Dame Lillard. Hit this shot from the Twilight <laughs> Zone Tower of Terror. Should the Lakers be scared? Next on First Things First. Hey, the brand new Fox Sports app and website up and running. Ultimate app for today's sports fans. Download it now. Good music, too. I like that good, got good app promo music. Stories to start your morning. First up, Zion. Zion sat out the Pelicans finale last night. Said it's time to get his game and his body, quote, where it needs to be for next season. Nick, what do you make of this? Hey, this is the most overwrought story of the year. Who's the last NBA rookie who came into the league needing to improve their body and didn't? I would argue the only one I can think of that's a, high, a good prospect, a blue chipper, is Durant. But Durant obviously actually didn't need to. Durant's body's been the exact same since he was at Texas, and it's totally fine. Every rookie that either needs to add weight or lose weight always does. I don't know why we think Zion's going to be different. Now, Broussard, if people are worried about his knees or about if he's injury-prone, 
so be it, we'll see. But this idea that Zion's just not gonna improve his body as he gets to 22, 23, 24, all of NBA history says he will, Broussard. Uh, I couldn't disagree more, Nick. I mean, this is a big story. Look, how many, where's the last rookie that had to be on low management? Where's the last rookie that has never shown he could play three straight months of basketball consistently at a high level. I, I just think this is, we, look, the quote from Zion is great. The first step to recognize that you have a problem is to ex understand you, have, or fixing a problem is to recognize you have a problem. His body is a problem. He's got to get together. I love that he said he wants to hear from the coach's point of view. So he's not just going to determine it himself. They're going to determine it. He's going to listen. That's well, the right step. To be he, fair, he's got to issue. be fair, we... Okay. All right. No. Well, sorry, Nick. We cut. We cut you off. No more. <laughs> playoff streak snap. Twenty-two straight seasons in the playoff. Spurs headed home. Broussard. How's this make you feel? I was a little bit sad about this. Well, look. I've always said the Spurs are the Patriots, the New England Patriots of the NBA. Popovich is Belichick. Duncan was Brady. Without the what? The cheating. Oh, the cheating. They're the yeah. Patriots yeah. of the NBA yeah. without the cheating. Yeah, it's great. It's even better. I, I'll, give, I'll yeah. give you that. I'll give you that. But it makes me wonder, is this a precursor <laughs> to what could be going on in New England this year in the NFL? Or is Cam oh. Newton DeMar DeRozan? Cam oh, Newton's name DeMar so DeRozan. I'm just saying. Great straight. take. It's a, that's a great I, take. I, I, I think this Spurs streak is actually underrated because it's not just 22 years in the postseason. In the midst of this, they had 20 straight years of 50 wins, with the one exception being a season that was only 50 games when they went 37 and 13 and won the title. Even the 66-game season, they found a way to win 50. It wasn't like they were sneaking into the postseason any of these years. So, it, And the fact that this year... They came down to the final game of the season, alive for the postseason. It's it's unbelievable what R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich have done there without the stink of multiple scandals is really a remarkable feat. What are you, are and it goes alongside what we've, some of the great, well, I mean, when we talk about other modern dynasties, that, that's what they have. have. Oh. No, that's just the truth. Sunset Phoenix. Feel-good story of the bubble headed home despite a perfect 8-0 record. Nick, I actually think not making the playoffs, here's a take, avoiding the Lakers could be good for the Suns' future. What do you think? Oh, I like that take, that the Suns get to end the year on a high note. One of the only teams yeah. that ends on a winning streak other than the team that won the title. Other than the champion. I, I, have, yeah. I, have, a hotter, I have a hotter take. Adam, hotter. Adam Silver should come out today and say, Memphis, you're out. Phoenix, you're in. We've decided, because they finished with the same record. We've decided, in the bylaws, the tiebreaker is not head-to-head -head record. The tiebreaker is, if you went undefeated in the bubble, you win all tiebreakers. Yes. It's legitimate. Had they said that before the bubble, we'd have said, okay, totally fair. Everyone wants to see Blazers' sons, Dame versus Devin, with, by the way, bubble MVP on the line. And, and, and with respect to the Grizzlies, and I love Ja, nobody wants to see that. So Adam Silver, and listen, man, the late, great David Stern would at least be having meetings about it. The late, great David Stern so would be saying, what are they going to do to me?
Well, look, I, 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 now it's going to be Dame. I, I wish Nick was right. I wish Nick was right because I would love to see Book against Dame. I totally disagree with you, Wild. It's always good to make the playoffs. If they got in the playoffs, they'd be going in the next season thinking, let's make some noise in the playoffs. Now they're going in thinking, let's just make the playoffs. And here's the problem. I love their youth. I love Monty Williams. But who, who are they knocking out of the playoffs in the West next year? Remember, Golden State is getting in. Uh, Portland's going to be the eight in, in the top eight. So is it Utah or OKC? Are they getting ahead of them? That's not even to mention yeah. Memphis and New Orleans and Sacramento. I mean, I wish Phoenix was in the East. That's a better take. Adam Silver, put Phoenix or somebody else in the East and let them battle there because they definitely be a playoff team in the East. Put the, put the, put New Orleans in the East. They're in the East. Just New go Orleans one, in 16. the East. That's, That's a good point. Uh, That's a good point. <laughs> playoff primer. Lakers now waiting for the winner of the West play in Grizzlies Blazers tomorrow at 2.30. Our friends at Fox Bet have the Lakers at minus 250 to beat the Blazers should they advance and minus 2,000 to beat the Grizzlies if they reach round one. Nick, who should the Lakers be rooting for? Listen up, America. Here's who oh. I'm rooting for. Give me the Blazers. I have pivoted on this, and I have decided... I want the hardest possible path to a title because I don't want to hear any nonsense anymore. I don't want to hear anything about finals record. I don't want to hear anything about asterisks. I don't want to hear anything about Ray Allen saved your legacy and Kyrie saved your legacy and the meltdown in 2011. I'm done with all of it. So give me the gauntlet. Give me the eighth best player in basketball and Damian Lillard in round one. Give me a healthy... James Harden and Russell Westbrook, the fourth and the ninth best players in basketball in round two. Give me a healthy and absolutely on fire Kawhi and Paul George in round three, the fifth and twelfth best players in basketball. And then give me Giannis in the finals, the second best player in basketball, and have that guy kick all their asses. That's what I want to see. Wow. That's what I'm rooting for. I am rooting for the bubble to start, the playoffs to start with LeBron taking on a red-hot Blazers team that, that laughably has people picking them to beat the Lakers and to remind everyone what playoff LeBron looks like. I don't want Memphis and then OKC and then Denver as the, as the playoffs could go. I want Portland, then Houston, then Broussard's beloved overrated Clippers, and then the Bucks. Give me the <laughs> hardest path possible, and that's what I'm rooting for. So that starts with the Blazers, Broussard. Memphis, <laughs> OKC, and Denver? Really? You, that, you that's can, a possible you path. wish that that's it. No, it's not. Denver is not beating the L.A. Clippers. Stop it, Nick. They're not. You were okay until then. But are they, but are they beating? Hold on. Are they beating the Mavericks after the Mavericks beat the Clippers? Five I'm just playing games. Go ahead. Sorry. Five. Go you ahead. know that. Sorry, go ahead. Look, look. Go ahead. I, I, they should hope for Memphis. I'm with you. Portland will not beat them. I don't know what is going on up there at TNT. I don't know what Barkley and... And Greg Anthony on NBA TV is thinking oh, these yeah. people are crazy to pick Portland, which plays absolutely no defense, which We're made Karis LeVert, who is a very nice player, but they made him look like a future Hall of Famer. Okay? They are not going to be able to hold down LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Both of them 
I told you guys, Wilds, not skinny mellow, not hoodie mellow, not orangeman mellow, not Olympic mellow. Nobody can hold Great down mellow. LeBron James in Portland. Who? Mellow, yellow, mellow. whatever. It, no. Uh, no, Broussard, but you do have them going seven. Yesterday you said you could see them going seven, Six. but then you gave them zero chance. And I said, hey, that's hard to wrap your head around. And you guys, like, attacked me like a pack of wolves. I'm like, guys, if you're saying they could go six or seven, they got a chance to win. They're like, no, Wild, you started throwing stuff through the camera at me. Six. Six games. Yeah, I said I could Listen, see it. I could series? see it going seven, but six. The, Paul George, Paul George took... LeBron seven once in a series his team had no chance to win. But I'm going to go further back in the history books, which is why, Broussard, oh boy, I am rooting for the Blazers in round one. Do you remember once upon a time when there was a team that a LeBron James team was playing that was considered one of the hottest teams in the league, had the hottest point guard in the league, and there was real concern, as good as LeBron's team is, who is going to guard Derrick Rose? That was back in 2011, and LeBron held him to 6.3% shooting in that series. I am excited okay. 20, to see, while 25. Dame is incandescent and on fire, that you know who in the fourth quarter of these games is going to match up against him if need be? LeBron James. A 27-year-old LeBron? The unguardable, the unguardable <laughs> Damian Lillard is going to get stifled, much like we saw LeBron at the beginning of the bubble guard Kawhi and Paul George on the same possession okay. when need be. I know he is two weeks older than he was for the first game of the bubble, and I know in that time okay. he's lost it, but I think he's going to be fine. All right, LeBron finished I'm as the NBA assist leader this season. No, average just over 10 a game. Nick, where does this rank on LeBron's accolades? Uh, probably outside of the top 10, Broussard. For most guys, it'd be the greatest moment of their career. I'm not sure if it cracks the top 10 for LeBron, but it's a nice thing to have on the basketball reference page. You like to make a point. He doesn't have a lot of those bolded categories, league leader. Now he's got a scoring title and an assist title, Broussard. I actually agree with you, Nick. I thought you were going to go way overboard, but LeBron's done so no, much that this is way low on his list. It's nice to have in the wow. legend. Like people said, Will Chamberlain led the league in assists one year, even though he really didn't. LeBron really did in this year. Hey, we're back on Monday. Jenna's back on Monday. Have a great weekend.